This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. <laughs> oh, Friday, Friday, Friday. Hello, Friday. Welcome to Friday. I'm so glad to be with you. I survived yet another day. (laughs) Come on to fight another day. So if your sword is sharp, if your guns are cleaned and locked and loaded and ready, and your backup cartridges are also full and in their proper holders at your waist or inside your carrying area in your purse. Yes, you're ready for today. So we have a fantastic program planned for you today. I'm also just, again, glad to be alive and kicking on a Friday in America, um, which is the most blessed place on earth to be alive and kicking and so grateful to be here. Um, I hope your Friday has just been Can I say awesome or should I use some other superlative? Has it been fantastic? Has it been uh, superlative? Excellent? Whatever your favorite uh, exclamation expression of, of goodness is, I'm glad, first of all, that you're here. And second of all, that we have... Oh, yet another day that we get to live on and do the fun, all the fun things. So uh, today on the show, we're actually going to be joined by Demetrius Minor, who, as you know, he and I started off meeting um, online as members of moveonup.org, which is a social networking site for black moderates and conservatives. And then when I became the executive director of that organization, he reached out to me and said, hey, um, can you put a profile for me up there? I'm trying to expand my my reach and my brand, and this is a group that I want to be a part of. And so I did, and from then on, we've been fast online friends. We actually met for the first time in real life uh, at the NRA convention, not this year, not last year, but the year before that, where we'd never actually met in person before. So he's getting married in the fall, and my husband and the kids and I are actually going to go to the wedding. We've been invited and we're so excited about getting to meet the rest of his family and his fiance in person, who will then at that point become his wife. And I, we, we jokingly refer to each other as siblings. Uh, so I'm his sister from another mister. He's my brother from another mother. It's, it's, yeah, it's all those cliches and more. So he's going to join the show today to talk news of the day. Um, and it's going to be fun to hear from him. He's actually. A coalitions director for the state of Florida for Americans for Prosperity. So he has an interesting take on what's going on down there. And then, of course, we'll discuss news of the day. And then today on the show, we're going to get to uh, Ilhan Omar. We're actually going to discuss her first because it's a marriage type situation. Um, she's it, so we've already covered uh, numerous aspects of her marital saga. It, her life is actually far more interesting than the Real Housewives of, like, let's say, Atlanta. Uh, And the reason I say that is because those women are encouraged to get into dust-ups with each other to make the show more interesting. So even though it's a reality TV show, it's it's not as real as it can get because they don't always have those fights because they want to. Sometimes they're told, we need conflict. People, you know, we need to keep the ratings up. Whereas Ilhan Omar, this is just her life. This is just, she was a refugee. She came to America. She has had, she married her own brother, um, married her husband, her actual, I guess, love of her life, if you will, married him. Then instead of divorcing him, just married her brother to get him into the country, then got back together with her husband and they have three beautiful daughters. And then you got the whole situation with the, now this affair coming out and I never revel in like, oh, that person had an affair, you know, look at that. But this story is news and the mainstream media is not covering it. So we're going to talk about it today on the show, just so you have the bare outline of what's going on. And then um, did President Trump say he would deport kids who have cancer? Well, Joe Biden said he did. And we all know how reliable Joe Biden is. So we'll talk about that. And then Netflix is actually prepping a series on Hillary Clinton's failed presidency. 
Now, you know, the Clinton aura and mystique has worn off. It's not just worn off. It's worn all the way down to the ground when we see Hillary Clinton actually like a a hit piece on her, which is what this amounts to. And make no mistake about it. Who's on the board of Netflix now? Susan Rice. Who else is over there working and making money from doing political and uh, documentaries, other types of films? The Obamas. Who's ready to move her out of the spotlight, her and her husband, they just won't go away? The Obamas. The Obamas want the Clintons to fade off into that good night. Their time has passed. They don't seem to have gotten the memo, so they're going to make them understand. They're about to start taking the Clintons apart piece by piece. Since they wouldn't go away nicely, they're going to be made to go away with nothing left to their legacy but tatters. Watch. So we get to see the beginning of that with this latest uh, series that they're prepping. Oh, the connection. So juicy. All right. So first, let's start off with Ilhan Omar. So we, in case you're just tuning into the show or you've never heard us discuss this before, Ilhan Omar actually has a very interesting history as it relates to her marriages. Two marriages, um, two different men, both of them with this, they both have the first, same first name. Um, so, and, and all of this was uncovered long ago by people who really practice good journalism. So bloggers uncovered this information long ago and a couple of local mainstream media outlets reported it. And then what ended up happening was, you know, CNN and MSNBC and all those guys, they were like, yeah, this isn't our cup of tea because we like her. She's on our side. So they didn't really cover it until they were forced to and they gave it cursory, like just a blip. And all of this was precipitated by the fact that she mishandled campaign funds. So when she's running for Congress, she has all these campaign funds that's going on. And she ended up really messing up there to the point that she's been fined. Um, the, the Minnesota government has said, you know, you, you messed up on your campaign finance. And often with, when you run for office, the campaign finance violations at the federal level, they have to be like magnificent numbers, hundreds of thousands of dollars or huge percentages of what you took in or what, what was wasted or what have you. But on the local level, the people there are much more, it's your neighbor, it's someone who lives in a small town or they live in the, the, you know, state seat, the, the state capital. They're, they're, these are people who work there and they do their job and they do it for the sake of doing it right. And so if they see you messing up, they're not at all inclined to let it go. They're not easily bought off. They're just, look, you, this is what you're allowed to do. This is what you did. The, the penalty for the violation is, you know, you get a fine of $5,000 and they just issue it. They don't call the news. They don't, they just do their job every day and that's it. And that's kind of what happened to her. So the New York Post has actually dived into this story and they reported that Omar was having an affair with Democratic strategist Tim Minette, according to divorce filings by Minette's wife. So the reason the story is coming to light is not so much because they want to report on Omar. It's because Minette's wife made this really interesting statement in her divorce proceedings. So a key part of the Post report centered around the financial aspect between Omar's campaign and Minette. 37-year-old congresswoman and mom of three paid Tim Minette and his E Street Group, that's the name of his company, $230,000 through her campaign since 2018 for fundraising, consulting, digital communications, internet advertising, and travel expenses. So the Washington Examiner actually dove into the ties between Omar's re-election campaign and Minette and found that nearly one in every $3 that was spent on her re-election not including transfers to other campaigns and committees. So not including, you know, when you're, so if you're a candidate for state Senate and uh, you, you, what happens is you get some money from the, the party apparatus for your state. They will put money into your campaign to help you win if you're the nominee. Well, then what happens later is you start to raise money. You raise money. So campaign funds have been transferred into you. And then once you raise money and you get over your target, not your threshold, but your target, then you're expected to transfer money either back to the party. So it, it amounts to being some sort of a loan, but it gets you started. It's your seed money to get your ground game going. Or you transfer whatever the amount is. They'll say everyone has to get, you know, contribute 12000 
you'll maybe pay it forward to another campaign that's just launched or there maybe their fundraise, fundraising threshold or target has not yet been met. You'll transfer, let's say 12,000 or whatever the number is, you'll transfer that amount into their campaign account. And it's all, that's all above board. You're allowed to do that. It's a way to help other candidates who aren't raising as much money get enough money to run their campaign. This is not money that is intended to be used for your personal expenses, you know, to enrich yourself, to, uh, you know, fund your boyfriend's business, to buy, you know, fancy clothes, cars, whatever. It's meant to run your campaign. So staffers, get out the vote efforts, advertising, fundraising mailers, whatever, anything having to do with legitimate campaign expenses. So when they make this, uh, it's a caveat here, again, not including transfers to other campaigns or committees. They're saying nearly one in every $3 that were spent on legitimate campaign expenses as they are defined by, uh, you know, campaign finance, uh, you know, rules and laws. So the Daily Caller News Foundation, uh, Andrew Kerr, we've heard of him before, reported that Omar's campaign began making payments to East Street Group for travel expenses on April 1, and that six days later, on April 7th, Minette confessed to his wife that he was romantically involved with and in love with Ilhan Omar. Now, all of this is outlined in the divorce proceedings. So then, Beth Minette, the jilted wife, said in her filing that her husband's more recent travel and long work hours now appear to be more related to his affair with Representative Omar than with his actual work commitments. So she literally, she's divorcing him and she's laying out the case that he's not only been cheating on her, but he's been cheating on her with a sitting member of Congress and that the sitting member of Congress has used her campaign finance to not only enrich his business, her husband's business, but to also facilitate the affair. She said, if Ilhan for Congress reimbursed my Nets LLC for travel so that Representative Omar would have the benefit of my Nets romantic companionship, the expenditures must be considered personal in nature. Representative Omar's filings do not reveal subsequent reimbursements for my Nets travel. And so there's a complaint from the National Legal Policy Center. They complained to the FEC that the suspicious timing of the alleged affair and the money that my Omar was paying my net amount to personal expenses, not campaign expenditures. So uh, Omar's actions here in funding her personal activities with someone that she's romantically involved with under the guise of campaign expenditures, these are illegal activities. And Omar and my net have actually been photographed together at multiple events in recent months. Now, remember, prior to this exposure, this, this, you know, this revelation, we know that there's been tension in the marriage of Ilhan Omar with her longtime husband, the husband she's had the whole time, even when she was married to her own brother, because of, I guess, him finding out that she was married to her brother or that the man that she was living with while they were separated, that she actually married him and that it was her brother, were not at all really firm on what he knew or knows and when he knew it. But they've had some stress and it was a news story that I didn't really talk about on the show because I thought, okay, developing and also not really newsworthy that he the he moved out of their home. This was after we were discussing this on the air, talking about the fact that she'd married her brother. It has also come to my attention that when we say brother in families that are coming from Somalia and places like that, people will often say they're a member of that family or that family in order to facilitate immigration to the United States. So they don't actually have to be related to that person. Now, it is my understanding that the person that she married while she was married to her husband is her actual biological brother, but that's what's been reported also right alongside the fact that sometimes people act as if they are, well, in another family so they can get into the U.S. So... She's the second sitting member of Congress, Ilhan Omar, alleged to have used campaign funds to pursue romantic affairs. Remember, Republican Representative Duncan Hunter of California and his wife were indicted in 2018 for taking more than 250000 from his campaign to fund personal vacations and their children's school tuition. The Justice Department also alleged that Hunter used campaign funds to fund at least five extramarital affairs. Now, Omar has not responded to a request for comment from the Daily Wire where this story is found. You can find this story at listen.stacyontheright.com. When we get back, we'll have Demetrius Minor. And I'm also going to go into this whole idea that 
um, certain things are mainstream and certain things aren't. What mainstream means, and specifically that I'm not in mainstream radio because I'm in Christian radio. We're going to talk about that when we get back. So stay right there. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Okay, kids, Dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, a pump your knee, a nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Org, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Whoa. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. What if I could tell you that a full-blown wildfire was going to occur tomorrow right where you live? Tell you exactly which neighborhoods it would engulf and how fast it would do it. The first thing you would do is talk with your loved ones and make a plan today. It's true. I can't tell you a wildfire will strike tomorrow. But shouldn't you make a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Uh, really quickly, just an update for those who have been so faithful in supporting the show. We appreciate you, and I'm so glad to be back with you today. Um, Doug Poss, Patriot Encourager, over on the live streams is saying... Terrestrial stations remain. Yes, we have five of those. Um, we also have the live streams all over the digital universe, including StacyOnTheRight.com and the podcast, which we are currently sitting at well over 10,000 more downloads this month than we had last month. So we're averaging about 10,000 downloads a week. And uh, that is just strictly the blessing of God. He has really just increased us and we're looking for even more. We want to have those kind of download numbers on a daily basis. And so that's what we're shooting for. We're just going to keep working until that happens and beyond. So um, here to stay, not going anywhere. And as I promised, we would have a quick discussion about um, mainstream, mainstream. Um, so, well, I, 
first of all, I kind of think it's crazy that I have to go into this, but in, in fact, it's, it's an opportunity. So I like to seize opportunities. So let's do it. Um, mainstream, as defined by Wikipedia, is the prevalent current thought that is widespread and includes all popular culture and media culture, typically disseminated by mass media. This word is sometimes used as a pejorative by subcultures who view ostensibly mainstream culture as not only exclusive, but artistically and aesthetically inferior. Interesting definition from Wikipedia. And I'm reading that one for you because I want to then contrast that with a definition provided by Bing, which is mainstream. The ideas, attitudes, or activities that are regarded as normal or or conventional, the dominant trend in opinion, fashion, and the arts. So uh, in some ways, Christianity could be seen as being utterly and completely mainstream in that 83% of Americans consider themselves to be Christians. Um, but then if you look at the synonyms for mainstream, normal, conventional, ordinary, orthodox, conformist, accepted, then you can see that, well, being a Christian is not mainstream because most people don't consider traditional Christian behaviors, meaning you're, you're actually abiding by what the Bible says you should do, what God's word says you should do. Most people don't consider those activities to be normal, not cursing. Being the, the wife of one husband or the husband of one wife, not having sex before marriage, uh, not using drugs, not lying, not cheating, not stealing, um, you know, not having kids out of wedlock, not cheating on your taxes, not using the uh, F-bomb in every single sentence you use, and so many other things. There's so much to living for Jesus, um, not as a religion, but as a personal relationship. And so it also says normal, conventional ordinary, orthodox, conformist, accepted. Well, Jesus was certainly no conformist. He was the standard bearer. He was the trendsetter. He was the one saying, you know, I'm sitting with the tax collectors because the law is for the just. And these people, they need me. They need a savior. So that's why I'm not sitting with the people who claim to already know me because they already know what, what you know, they, they know what's what. These people need to hear from me. They need my love and compassion and caring, and they need my wisdom. Um, Accepted. Well, it's pretty clear that Christianity is no longer widely accepted in this country. But I still bristle at hearing a Christian person say, well, Christian radio isn't mainstream. That actually makes me kind of go off into the flesh and think that person can't possibly be a Christian. Because to me as a Christian, there's nothing more mainstream than Christianity. Because I know the founding of this country. I know... Um, I know not only what the founders believed and what they planned for us in our documents, but what is the driver behind so much of the philanthropy and charity that you see in America? It's faith. People are caring for their brother, their sister, the widow, the orphan. They're caring for them out of compassion, but also out of what they feel is a duty to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So is Christian radio mainstream? Well, I guess it depends on which of these two definitions you're you're hewing to. It also depends on whether or not you consider the word mainstream to be a pejorative. But I think when someone says, well, you're not in mainstream radio, it's kind of like they're saying, you know, you're doing that weird Christian radio. Um, you're doing that weird stuff that, you know, it's, not everybody likes to listen to that. Well, not everybody likes to listen to the truth either, but there it is, right? I'm not going to stop telling the truth just because people don't like listening to it. And I'm not going to stop um, defining this program as a Christian program stemming from my time on Christian radio. I'm not going to stop doing that just because if I did, then that would make the program more mainstream. My thing is, if you want to listen to the truth and you want to hear the truth from a biblical worldview then you're going to find your way here. And if you're too sensitive to that or you've got stuff going on, like, you know, maybe some kind of whatever your thing is, you don't and you don't want that. That's why we have so much media. And I kind of feel like just if you're looking at this definition over on on uh, Wikipedia, which, again, it's Wikipedia. It's everything on there is written by some other person who doesn't even have to be an expert, but it's widely used. And I thought this was an interesting definition when compared to the dictionary type definition for um, for Bing, where it says includes all popular culture and media culture. Well, we know 
just by taking the temperature, just turn your TV on any time of day, turn your radio on any time of day for, for the music side. And what you're going to hear, if you consider all popular culture to be normal and mainstream, then you, then, uh, extramarital affairs, rape, adultery, everything that is against God's word in the Bible, against the Ten Commandments, is currently celebrated and uplifted by mainstream popular culture. Media culture, what you see on television at night, and we do we do watch TV, so it's not like I'm saying this is, you know, we're not off in some um, ivory tower, you know, well, we don't watch, we do watch TV, we do. Um, but if you're saying all of that is what is mainstream, then I guess Christianity isn't mainstream. Because you can't say that Christianity is all popular culture. So no matter how it's taken, I'm always going to stand up with an attitude against people who say they're Christians, but then would say Christian radio is outside of the mainstream using the definition of the regular dictionary, meaning what's considered normal or conventional. If you're a Christian, but you don't consider people who don't curse, don't play music with curse words in it, and don't lie on the radio, if you consider that to be outside of what is normal and conventional, then I have to wonder about your so-called Christianity. And that's a you problem because we're putting down what you need to know right here. If you don't know Jesus, it's as simple as saying, I want to know him and I'm ready to repent of my sins and acknowledge his work on the cross that he died and took the keys from the gates of hell that he no, not even the gates of hell can prevail against him and that he rose on the third day and he did all of that to save me from my sins and that he is the son of God and boom, bam, boom. Once you've asked him in and accepted him, now you're in the family, go get baptized, start going to church on Sunday and crack your Bible open every day. And I guess we can consider you to be with us outside of the mainstream. And then as far as the other part, because I know there's this kind of undercurrent of, well, if you weren't in Christian radio, then you wouldn't have been tossed off of the old place. Well, I don't know about that. Because here in St. Louis, one of the Salem media radio stations, the, the answer for St. Louis, it's been bought by Catholic radio. They sold it. So all of the hosts on that station are having to find new work. That's mainstream radio. Other shakeups are happening across the radio atmosphere. If you if you read the journal, what they call the journal or the Bible of, of uh, talk radio, you see that changes happen every week. Every week, people are finding jobs or losing jobs in radio. It's a very volatile industry. But to say that something about the, the main aspect about what happened to me is because I was on Christian radio ignores the fact that lots of radio hosts on local stations across the country and nationally syndicated hosts like Joe Walsh, who just decided he's running for the presidency and lost his nationally syndicated radio gig. Millions of listeners. I guess that happened to him because he wasn't in Christian radio. So, you know, get your mind right. Um, and, and just know that if you're going to put your mouth on me and my situation, I'm going to then broadcast what you've shared and correct you publicly as well. You put your mouth on me publicly. I'm going to correct you publicly because you need this and it's for your own good. You're not going to get to talk about me and say that something happened to me because Christian radio, when what we know and and believe is that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose and every circumstance, every situation, God will prevail in spite of me, in spite of how I may mess up or do whatever And even if something has happened to me that I'm, well, you know, I don't really like that. I can just go to the father and leave it there and expect him to work it out for my own good because that's what his word says. And if you don't understand that, maybe it's because you're not actually a Christian. Maybe you're a part of all popular culture and media culture um, and that you are conformist, orthodox, ordinary, conventional, accepted, and not in the kingdom. How about that? All right. So I want to go over to um, some audio. I know we're supposed to be having our guest today, which is Demetrius. And whenever he is with us, we will go to him. But I want to cut over to, um, I was talking about this story yesterday about this person who's a child molester getting a sex change at the taxpayer expense of the people of Idaho. Check this out. Well, there have been two other courts that have ruled opposite and uh, we appealed this to the 
to the Ninth Circuit, and we we're, we're going to appeal it again. We we just uh, heartily disagree. It's a it's a bad precedent. It's going to be expensive, and it's contrary to the health professionals that we've had reviewing uh, inmate Edmo's uh, record, uh, all the things about the inmate. And it's just contrary to uh, good practices, and it's another example of an activist court uh, getting in the middle of something and creating a precedent that's going to be expensive for the taxpayers of Idaho and potentially all the taxpayers of the United States. So we're talking about the expense of someone who's mentally ill, who's already molested children, then being given what they want, which is the ability to go into other spaces where people who have less muscle mass than they do, he can molest them. Because once he has a sex change, he'll be moved to a female prison where the female prisoners will be subject to his advances. Do you see what I'm saying there? Come on. Unbelievable. So our guest is actually on hold. Now, I'm not sure. Let me just hold on a second. <laughs> Demetrius has sent me a text message. He's like, he's on hold. Um, let me just say. I'm just making a quick message over to Noah. Um, so so it, whether or not the person feels like they deserve to have a sex change, what they really, what, what all of us should be thinking about and doing is that we have to be cognizant of the fact that this is this is setting a bad precedent and it's wasting taxpayer money. These sex changes cost between thirty and a hundred thousand dollars, and then after that, the ongoing medication that the person has to have and the you know any complications, it's very expensive. It can be up to a quarter of a million dollars, and that's just in the first couple of years. And then after that, the expenses are ongoing for an elected. Um, oh, okay, all right. From 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 an elective surgery. So let's just say hi to Demetrius. Um, okay. All right. So let's, let's say hi to Demetrius. I'm not sure if we can get him on right now, but um, he's been on hold for a little bit. Can we connect him? Okay. I know you guys are hearing sounds. You're like, what's going on? I'm trying to figure out if we can actually connect him to the. Um, welcome to the show. <laughs> you guys have got to be thinking, what is going on with having people on the show and not being able to hear them? And I actually don't know. Um, hello? Ah, yes. Okay, there. There he is. All right, fine. <sighs> Sorry about that. So you know what you're going to have to do? You said you had nothing but time today. You're actually going to have to um, chill out. So we're just going to say hi. Tell everybody what you do for a living before we go to break here because we just have another minute and a half. And then when we get back from the break, we'll launch into our conversation. I currently serve as Community Engagement Director for Americans for Prosperity here in Florida. And I'm on the leadership team of Tampa Life Church. Okay, so I already told them how we know each other, and I talked to talked about a little bit about what we we're going to discuss on the show today. Um, but it, let me let me know here. Um, well, the first topic that we're going to launch into when we get back, let's preview that. Demetrius. Yes. Yeah, let's preview the topic when we, that we're going to cover when we get back. You sent over some topics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's several topics we're going to talk about. Um, the, the Netflix coming out with a series um, about um, Clinton's um, two failed presidential campaigns, um, Joe Biden on the campaign trail, and um, conservatives um, being labeled racist, um, and how we've been dealing with that label for years. Fantastic. So um, just kind of going over the, the Clintons, don't you find it interesting that what we're really looking at is the Obamas are over there now. So Netflix has Susan Rice on its board 
and Michelle and Barack Obama are running a film division for Netflix to produce, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. real content. So don't you think it's interesting that after the Obamas go over there, now all of a sudden we're going to do this deep dive into the failed Clinton presidency attempts? Yeah, that was actually the first thing that went into, that came into my mind um, when, when I saw that. Now, as I... Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. I hear the music. When we get back, we'll have Demetrius' thoughts on that um, and more. So stay right there. Ugly doll is unique. I'm Moxie. Bobo. Wait. Those close to me call me Slick Doll. Which is not his name. And every child is too. They can be pretty lovable. That's why when you travel, you should make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size. That sounds pretty great to me. Keep them safe by visiting NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Isn't that right, gibberish cat? <laughs> Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance so common with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom, come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that! Oh, come on! <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. All right, welcome back to the show. So now we know what happened audio-wise yesterday and today with the guest because I had my Comrex knob turned down on the mixer. So my fault. Yeah, so because I was thinking to myself, what could possibly have happened that I'm not able to do, like have guests on and we're having all these problems and I just assumed it had to do with, and Cassie may have had a like a not so good connection, but the fact that I couldn't hear her wasn't due to that. It was due to me turning that down. Now I'm trying to remember why earlier in the week I would have turned that down from some noise or sound that I wanted to turn down for a minute and never turned it back up. This is why I guess I would consider myself to be a producer in training or not even a producer's assistant, someone who's allowed to be in the room but not touching the knobs. That's what's happening here. But I'm doing both. And then Noah's on the other side up in the Dakotas. He's dealing with all this and he can't see what's happening with my mixer. He's like, you know, 
got to be thinking, oh, my gosh. Anyway, Demetrius, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, so how dare you text me that I had a diatribe in the second segment while I was supposedly waiting for you to come on because I thought you weren't on. And I was talking about this issue with people considering Christianity to be mainstream or unmainstream. Why don't you launch into that first since you said it was diatribe? <laughs> well, you know, that was just me um, having having a little fun. Mm-hmm. But that was that was a, a signal to you that I have been on hold for fifteen minutes. But oh. you know, I, I don't mind waiting. Oh, okay. So, well, I apologize for you being on hold, but I didn't know you were there because I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> so I thought he's not called in yet. That's what I was thinking while I was talking. No, I'm like, no, wow, no, 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 no. I, I was called definitely in on, time. on hold. Yeah, you called I in. Did. All right. All right. So, all right. So let's talk about this. You said the first thing that popped into your mind when you heard that there was going to be some kind of film on the failed presidential attempts by Hillary Clinton, you thought, ooh, the Obamas. Well, that was the first thing because, uh, because like you just alluded to the Obama's involvement with, with Netflix. And so I thought the timing of this was, uh, very interesting. And so, uh, I, I began to read the article a little bit further and, it said that it's not going to talk about Hillary Clinton as much, per se, but it's just going to focus on, I think, women and campaigns, um, the strategy, what happened behind the scenes. And so um, I know that it's based off of a New York Times bestseller book, and, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I definitely am going to give it a view. And uh, if the Obamas have anything... Um, to do with it, it will be interesting to see what angle that they come from. Uh, is it going to be um, more historical, more factual, or is it going to be opinionated? And will it um, and opinionated by, are they going to take shots at Hillary Clinton about things she could have done better or if she really had a chance to defeat Donald Trump? So I, I'm, I'm interested to see the narrative at which um, this comes by. I wish we could all like, you know how you get a, friends together to discuss something. I wish we could have like a big viewing party at a sports bar where we could all sit and watch it with a remote control to be able to pause it because um, it, the, the name of the series is actually The Girls on the Bus, an adaptation of New York Correct. Times journalist Amy Shozik's book recounting Clinton's failed campaigns titled Chasing Hillary, 10 Years, Two Presidential Campaigns, and One Intact Glass Ceiling. Oh, this sounds like, you know, a love Hillary Clinton fest to me by, based on that. <laughs> well, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. And um, especially as we are geared up for another uh, presidential campaign, um, and there are other female candidates. Uh, another another way to look at this is th- this could be Netflix's um, inadvertent, or I don't want to say inadvertent, but um, subtle way of trying to help a particular female candidate who is now running um, by airing the mistakes that Hillary Clinton's campaign did um, could send a message um, to another female candidate of what to do and what not to do. So that there's there's different ways to look at it. Are you talking about Kamala Harris? Because Kirsten Gillibrand, well, who's Hillary Clinton's shadow, she already dropped out. Kristen, uh, excuse me, Kamala Harris is the only female candidate running for president on the Democrat side who has a chance of winning the nomination. But her poll numbers are in the in the garbage can compared to Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren is having events with fifteen thousand people. Kamala Harris can't even get a, a, a good poll out in her favor. This is true. Uh, uh, however, I will tell people that when the field narrows, things change, polls fluctuate, um, and so I, I I really do not think Elizabeth Warren is going to be the nominee for the Democrats. I'm not saying that Kamala Harris is, but once the field narrows, and it's been narrowing, narrowing, and it, it needs to continue to because many of these Democrats know they don't have a shot, these candidates are going to stand out more. They're, go, they're going to get more coverage. They're going to get more airtime. Things that they say, it's going to continue to get scrutinized or celebrated, depending on who the candidate is. So I don't think we're going to get a clearer picture until this field continue, continues to narrow. 
It is early. I'll admit that. One of the things that I've, I've been fascinated by is just the, so if, if a campaign sticks around, they don't have to poll well. They just have to continue to raise money and continue to have events and stick around. And then when others finally run out to the end of their tether and give up, the people who are left will be the ones who actually make it to the debates that everyone watches. And then it will be much more of a real race because right now it doesn't feel real. No, it's not real because, again, there's so much time left. Uh, And so, we, you know, we're still months away from the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. Uh, But the thing is, is that eventually the money is going to dry up. Eventually, the donors are going to start gravitating towards the campaign that appears to be in the driver's seat. And so I'm still of the opinion that Joe Biden is the person to beat as of right now. But Kamala Harris um, is probably going to be one of the few candidates left standing. So um, as the donors go, as the money goes, that determines um, how long a campaign can actually exist. And that's why you saw people like Kristen Gillibrand and these other Democrats um, like Hickenlooper and others, they see the writing on the wall and they see that, okay, my time could be better served um, running for Congress, running for Senate, whatever the case may be, but knowing that their chance of becoming the Democratic nominee um, is not going to unfold. Hmm. Okay. So I also wanted to touch base with you on... um the, a couple of the other stories we were talking about, we already discussed Ilhan Omar. I know you're you're so flummoxed, like you're you're over her. You don't want to discuss her. Um, but there was also this story about Joe Biden saying that the president had threatened to deport kids with cancer, and it turns out that's just not true. <laughs> Shocker! A presidential candidate says something that's not true. Uh, man, this is the first time that's happened. <laughs> no, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> well, yeah. In in all seriousness, you, you you have to wonder. You know, and I get it. You know, when you're running for president, you're making multiple stops a day. Um, you're, you're pretty much taking a job interview across the country, and so you know, there's there's things that you say um, that you may not realize, but you also have to understand in this era where we have access to fact-checking at our fingertips in a matter of seconds. And you need to have a campaign infrastructure that's going to give you the facts and give you the truth. You can't just go out while you're meeting people and just blurb out the first thing that you hear without digging, without researching, and making sure that it's factual. But, you know, listen, you know, people, it's a clever soundbite. Um, and, you know, people like controversy and people just like to say whatever comes to their mind without fact-checking, and it really does a disservice um, to the voters. And people wonder why there's no trust in the media, and people wonder why um, journalists are acting as um, opinion editors instead of reporting the news. They're reporting their opinions instead of the facts, and um, this is a problem that has been going on for quite some time. Well, so... Then where do we, uh, you know, obviously for presidential candidates are going to lie with the joke you made starting in here that, you know, that's that's not falling on deaf ears. Um, the cor- the correction on this story or fact check is over at Breitbart.com, which has been labeled a far right outlet that's for white supremacists in order to delegitimize the great reporting that goes on there. And I, I'm not saying that they don't sometimes have posts up over there that I'm like, whoa, what you know, what's this? But the majority of what they have there is actual fact-based news reporting and then they have opinion pieces that are clearly labeled opinion so what what how how would we get this story or the truth out because the claim is president president donald trump is ending a policy that allows migrants not to be deported while they or their family members are receiving life-saving medical treatments the verdict is false there never was any such policy and all the trump administration is doing is moving discretion over individual cases from uh u.s customs and immigration services to ice so it's it's not actually a horrifying story at all, but it's being made into this boogeyman in, in order to paint the president as a racist. How do we get the truth out? Well, I think it's incumbent upon people to 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 find the truth for themselves. There's um, with the digital age and with technology, 
um, there's, there's easy, there's, it's easy for people to find the truth. It's really no excuse for people not to know the truth. Um, cross sources. Um, look up various media entities. Don't just rely on the big cable news networks, uh, Fox, ABC, CNN, CBS, MSNBC. Uh, all of them have an agenda. <laughs> you know, when you think about the, the big TV network companies, it's all about ratings. It's all about marketing. Um, so go to independent sources. Um, there's various ways to find out the truth. I, I think that if people, I think if a voter says things like, well, I, I just, you know, I don't know if they're lying. How can I tell if they're lying? I'm like, well, it's important you to not be intellectually or politically lazy because that's what candidates are counting on you to do. They're not counting on you to research and to do the facts. They're counting on you to hear these 10 to one minute, 10 second to one minute sound bites, and for you to make a decision off of that. And that's irrational. It's irresponsible. There's various ways to do fact checking. Um, the best way to do it is to hear what the candidate says out of their own mouth. Once the candidate says something out of their own mouth, it's hard to repudiate it if that's what they said. Mm. And so I think that's the way that we just hold people accountable and it avoids a double standard. All right. So the last piece that you you shared a piece with me that you wanted to discuss today, um, and that is over at the bulwark.com, the liberals who cried wolf. It's almost like there's a pattern or something by Charles Sykes. And he talks about how he spent a great deal of time as a writer chronicling the right's descent into crackpotism. But now he's, yeah. he's highlighting that the Washington post has an outlook section. They put an, several pieces up over there that say that conservatives who are concerned with civility, reason, and free speech are really echoing Confederate defenses of slavery. So I, I, I think I've kind of moved from being really shocked by what they do um, in the now, like the, the immediate impacts of stories. And I kind of see how stories resolve themselves. And sometimes that's weeks later, sometimes it's months later. Uh, in the last couple of minutes of the show here, I'm just wondering what you think about how history and, and history can be us looking back at last year. And I'm talking about mainstream people, quote unquote, from my segment, from last segment, um, regular Americans who aren't heavy news consumers, but that eventually get the truth. How are they going to look at, you know, the Washington Post and other journalistic concerns and how they're writing these really crazy things about people who have legitimate, uh, you know, legitimate concerns about things that are going on? I was, I was doing a free speech segment um, on a podcast yesterday, and, and sort of like this, the title of this article, The Liberals Who Cried Wolf. And the problem with when you call everyone a racist, then you realize that people are going to believe that nobody is a racist. The problem occurs that when someone who actually has hatred in their heart Someone who actually is I know. Okay, I'm turning that down. So we basically have 11 seconds left. It's Friday. I'm hoping I can get back with you again. Uh, maybe next week and we can sure, talk some more. Always. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Demetrius. Righteously American.